Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Wait, don't go past those bushes, Ned called after Roland. That's where they buried her. Buried who? Roland asked, shirking away from the tangle of thorn bushes in front of him. They were just about as tall as a twelve-year-old boy such as himself. While every other plant in the wood had grown hardy and green, the bushes remained dead and brown. The only green within their branches belonged to the scattered weeds trying to eke out a minimal existence before being choked out by the malicious brambles surrounding them. Don't you know the story? Ned asked. Obviously not, Roland shrugged. He was only half listening to Ned, assuming his friend was about to spin some campfire-esque tale about ghosts or goblins. Ned had a reputation of gullibility, which was often leveraged by older boys looking to have a laugh at poor nervous Ned's expense. There was another reason Roland didn't give Ned his full attention, even at the insinuation that a woman was buried out there in the woods. The bushes hadn't grown in the normal, seemingly random chaos of most forest shrubbery. They formed a perfect row that disappeared in either direction. They had formed a sort of fence or wall. Roland wondered if someone had planted them there on purpose, but why? No one owned this forest. It was just a place kids came to mess around for all he knew. It was the kind of place you found old firework cartridges, BBs wedged in tree bark, empty bottles, and the occasional weathered condom. Roland had to explain what those were to Ned. Ned didn't believe him, ironically. And then they hung her and buried her, and that's why nothing grows over there. Ned finished his story, and Roland realized he had barely heard a word. Yeah, sure, he muttered. He was getting hungry. It must be close to lunchtime, he thought. You don't believe me, do you? Ned guessed, dejected. Sounds like another story someone told you to give you nightmares. You can't believe everything people tell you, Roland said. But this one isn't just from some other kid. Grandpa Joe told me this story. He said it's real, too. He said, This town has tried so hard to be without sin that it's committed some of the worst you can imagine. Roland laughed at Ned's impression of his grandpa. He truly captured the man's flair for the dramatic. As his laughter ceased, Roland's stomach grumbled. Hey, Ned shouted, pointing at Roland's growling stomach. You should come to my house for lunch and Grandpa Joe can tell you the story himself. Then you'll believe me. He tells it way better than me. Sure, whatever. Roland followed Ned out of the woods and down the grassy hill behind their houses. Roland waved to his mom, who was in their backyard with his baby brother. I'm going to eat with Ned today, he shouted over their chain-link fence. 
Your parents won't mind? Roland's mom asked Ned. Nah, they aren't home. It's just Grandpa Joe today. And you know what he says. An empty house is like a dead body. It's got no soul. Roland's mom laughed and waved them both away. Ned opened the gate into his yard and they walked up to the sliding back door. It was locked, but the boys could see the back of Grandpa Joe's head cresting over the top of his recliner like a fuzzy peach sunrise. Ned tapped on the glass door and the recliner lurched forward. Grandpa Joe's head whipped around the side of the recliner. His left eyebrow was raised high and his eyes were popping with anger. Seeing the boys, he relaxed a little and limped over to unlock the door. God dang, boy, you trying to see me drop dead from a heart attack? Grandpa Joe asked Ned. Sorry, Grandpa Joe. Roland, always good to see you. Don't mess that up. Grandpa Joe chuckled and punched Roland in the shoulder. He probably meant it to be a light, playful blow, but Roland had to clench his jaw to keep from wincing at the impact. You boys must be hungry. How about turkey on rye? No thanks, Grandpa. We're just going to heat up some pizza. Suit yourself. Ned went to the kitchen, grabbed two plates from a cupboard, and opened the fridge. Roland wants to know about those bushes in the woods, he said as he searched for the container of cold DiGiorno. The bushes in the... Oh, the witch's grave, Grandpa Joe exclaimed. A wide, crooked grin stretched across his knotted face. His eyes gleamed behind smudged glasses. Roland raised an eyebrow. Witch's grave? Yes, yes. Come on and have a seat. Ned, son, would you heat up a slice for me while you're at it? Not too long. I hate how the cheese turns to plastic in the microwave. Yes, sir, Ned called over the beeping microwave buttons. This is one of the oldest towns in the whole country. Did you know that? Grandpa Joe asked Roland, who shook his head. Well, now you do. It's been here since before they signed the declaration. But, like all towns this old, that means we've got some darkness in our history. One of the blackest shadows of that darkness still remains up that hill in those woods, and it sounds like you stumbled upon it today. The bushes? Roland asked. Mm-hmm. They were all dead, weren't they? Even though everything else is green and blooming? Yeah, I thought that was weird. Well, you'll think it's a lot weirder after this. Those bushes were dead when I was a boy, too, and my father claims they were dead when he was a boy as well. Legend has it those bushes died the day they were planted, but they never rot away, and their thorns remain as sharp as ever. So who put them there, and what do they have to do with a witch? I should just tell you the whole story. It'll all make sense then. Ned came into the living room holding a plate in each hand and one in the crook of his elbow. He handed Roland the first plate, and Roland blew gently on the steaming slice of stuffed crust pepperoni. Ned gave Grandpa Joe his slice, then sat down. There was a man named Jeremiah, and he had a wife named Rebecca. Poor Rebecca had been married once before, but her husband had died of fever. Before he passed, her husband had gotten Rebecca pregnant. She gave birth to a little girl named Eleanor. After marrying Rebecca, Jeremiah treated Eleanor as his own daughter. Rebecca thought they had gotten a second lease on life, but it wouldn't last long. The same illness that took her first husband claimed Jeremiah in the dead of winter. Rebecca and Eleanor were, once again, left alone in a world that wasn't too kind to women. It was hard for them to find work. Work good enough to pay the bills, that is. Neither of them could own land or a home, etc. Lucky for them, there was a long-standing tradition that said if a man died, the next brother in line was to marry and care for his widow and children. Jeremiah only had one brother, George, who was about ten years his junior. 
He married Rebecca, yuck, Roland interjected. He married his brother's wife, and she was ten years older than him? Grandpa Joe nodded slowly. George probably felt about how you feel right now. Marrying an old widow isn't exactly a young man's dream. He did his duty, though. But young Eleanor was much closer to his age. George and Eleanor struck up their own secret relationship. He may have been married to her mother, but George's heart belonged to Eleanor. They were discreet, but rumors and gossip about their secret affair spread anyway. Rebecca's life ended just the way her first two husbands had. She caught a fever and died in the night. George and Eleanor were married shortly thereafter. This ruffled the feathers of many well-to-dos in town. The idea of a man marrying his stepdaughter, even though they were the same age, infuriated the puritanical elders. The rumors of the lover's affair while Rebecca had still been alive were resurrected in the wake of their marriage. Some began to insist that Eleanor had murdered her mother, poisoned her. The physician who had cared for Rebecca in her final days insisted she had died of the fever, that no traces of poison had been found. Unfortunately, this testimony only made things worse for Eleanor. The accusations started as whispers, then shouts through pub windows and from alleyways. Pretty soon, the court leveled a formal accusation of witchcraft. They thought she was a witch just because her mom died? Roland asked. And because she married George, Ned clarified. But women were executed for witchcraft based on far less salacious accusations back then, Grandpa Joe said. It was a sad time. Must have been terrifying for the ladies of the day. So what happened next? Roland asked. He hadn't touched his pizza yet. They held a trial. George and the doctor were the only townsfolk who testified in favor of poor Eleanor, and the jury quickly decided the two of them had been put under her spell. People came forth with all sorts of wild fabrications. They said she cursed their fields, brought sickness into their homes, and made their animals act strangely. No one asked why these crimes hadn't been reported sooner. They just took the accusers at their word. Eleanor remained perfectly poised throughout the trial, right up until they read her verdict. Guilty. And her sentence was death by hanging. They killed her? Roland asked, shocked. His pizza slid off his plate, which he had accidentally tilted on his lap. The slice landed on the hardwood floor face down with a splat. Roland apologized and put it back on his plate. Ned went for a napkin and gave Roland an impish glance. He knew the best part of the story was yet to come. They wouldn't kill her yet, Grandpa Joe continued. See, they liked to ease their own consciences by getting the women they condemned for witchcraft to confess. That way, the townsfolk could feel acquitted by the undeniable truth. Well, why would any of the ladies confess? Everyone knows witches aren't real, Roland asked. First of all, the women were often tortured until execution was preferable to staying alive. Their confessions were empty and hollow. The accused just wanted the pain to stop. Second, don't be so quick to assume what is and isn't real. In the case of Eleanor, it's safe to say she was not a witch when she was tried and convicted. But, by the time she was executed... That may have changed. Ned returned, wiped the grease and red sauce off the floor by Roland's feet, and sat back down. In the coming days, Eleanor was subjected to various horrific tortures you boys are too young to hear about. 
They put nails through her feet and rocks in her. That's enough, Ned. Grandpa Joe gave his grandson a stern look. Roland met Ned's eyes. His friend telepathically said, I'll tell you later. Grandpa Joe turned back to Roland. Each night, after suffering these torments, Eleanor would pray for God to relieve her, to show the townsfolk the truth and convince them of her innocence. But her prayers fell on deaf ears. One guard overheard her and told her that God didn't help witches. Eleanor had always been a faithful servant of God, but there, in her darkest moment of greatest need, he seemed to have abandoned her. She wondered if he too had decided she was a witch, and if God didn't help witches, maybe someone else would. On the third night, the night before her scheduled execution, Eleanor got on her bloody knees and prayed to the devil. The guard claimed to have overheard her. He said she asked to be saved and for the town to be cursed. She wished death upon everyone but her husband, George. She promised both her own and George's souls to Satan if he would rescue her. The guard says shortly after issuing this prayer, Eleanor rolled onto her back and started laughing. Her eyes rolled back in her head, and she lay there on the dirty floor smiling and laughing hysterically for hours and hours. In the morning, when it was time for the hanging, the guards brought Eleanor out of her cell. She was grinning ear to ear and greeted everyone who saw her with an eerie stare. If that wasn't disturbing enough, all of her wounds had miraculously healed. No cuts or bruises remained on her skin. Even George felt frightened of his wife that morning. She could see his concern as she walked past him. She pulled away from the guards, and before they could grab her, she got close enough to George to press her forehead against his and whisper, Fear not, he will heal you too. The guards reclaimed their holds on Eleanor and dragged her up to the gallows. Everyone in town had gathered to watch the convicted witch hang. The priest began a recitation, but no one could hear it over Eleanor's shouting. She screamed, The Dark Lord has cursed you all. I speak now for hell, which waits below with open jaws for each of you to fall. Your bodies will rot in the ground whilst your souls rot in the flames of Sheol. You so desperately want my confession? So here it is. I am the new queen of hell. Now rid me of this flesh so I can take up my infernal throne. The town protested with yelling and cursing. The priest gave a nod to the executioner and he pulled a lever. The floor beneath Eleanor's feet dropped away and she was caught by the noose. And dead seconds later. That's it? She died? Roland looked astonished. Not quite, Grandpa Joe replied. They buried Eleanor's corpse out in the woods. Over the coming weeks, hunters reported that everything near her grave was dying. The plants and trees, the animals, just died and rotted away. So the people got together and planted a thick ring of thorn bushes around Eleanor's grave, hoping to keep her curse contained. Those very same bushes remain there to this day, and it's safe to assume that Eleanor's curse does too. What happened to George? Roland asked. Ah, well, some think the loss of his beloved wife drove him to madness and suicide. Others, to include myself, think something more sinister came over him. 
Whatever the case, he drove a dagger through his own heart while standing on Eleanor's grave. No one was brave enough to cross through the bushes and retrieve his body, so it remained there until one day it just disappeared. So boys, I'd recommend you stay away from those bushes in the woods. No one's tested the curse in centuries as far as I know, but I certainly wouldn't want to be the first. You saw those dry, dead bushes. No life. And no life within their borders, either. If you ask me, that's all the proof we need that Eleanor's curse has far outlasted her. Roland left Ned's that day, smiling. Their sleepy town was normally wont for excitement, but he hadn't known a witch's curse lay so close to his home. He knew Ned would never go along with him, so he would have to wait until he could sneak back into the woods alone. Maybe he could figure out what happened to George's body. Maybe he could find the witch, Eleanor. Maybe he could learn once and for all if she really had cursed the land, the very ground in which she was buried. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.